Matthew 7.13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You will recognise them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you will recognise them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On the day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. When Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like the scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Dean. It's good to see you this morning. I want to start by asking you a a simple question, but a profound question. Uh, What is the the biggest decision that you ever made in your life? Buying a house is a a big decision. Uh, Taking on that massive mortgage, that is big, but it's not the biggest decision. Choosing where to live in Australia or in England, in Sydney or interstate, that's a big decision, but it's not the, the biggest decision you'll make. Choosing your career is a big decision. Choosing whether you should get married and who you should marry, that's a big decision, but it's not the biggest decision you'll ever make. The biggest decision I ever made was in May... 1990, that's 27 years ago, when as a 20-year-old undergraduate, I knelt by my bed, I confessed I was a sinner in need of a saviour, and I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to become my own personal Lord, my own personal saviour. That was the biggest decision, the most important decision I ever made in my entire life. It's a tough decision, isn't it? To say, yeah, I'm a sinner, I need a saviour. It is tough to say, Jesus, you are my saviour and I want to follow you, I want to obey you, I want to live my life now on that narrow road, obeying Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. I just want to ask a quite confronting question right up front this morning. 
Have you ever made that decision yourself? Are you sitting here this morning having made that decision that you want to follow Jesus as your own personal Lord and your personal Savior? I'm not asking whether your, your parents took you to church. I'm not asking whether your friends have handed you books to read about Jesus. I'm not asking whether you sit in 945 church week in, week out and sing all the songs. I'm asking whether you personally have actually asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. Because that is the, the biggest decision you'll ever make. And I start there this morning because that is how Jesus finished his most famous sermon. He taught some radical stuff in this Sermon on the Mount. He taught us that uh, the blessed people are the people who are selfless and they're humble and they're meek and they recognize the need of God. He's taught us to live these radical lives where we get rid of anger and we get rid of lust and we forgive each other. He's taught us to tell the truth. He's taught us to not judge other people. And so he finishes this sermon. Now, how does he finish it? I always find concluding a sermon the, the most difficult part of writing a sermon. I mean, do you just fizzle out? Do you just repeat the same points ad nauseum? Do you, like a plane, come into land? Oh, no, let's take off again and again and again. And Jesus doesn't say, there you go, folk. Fill your head with this knowledge. Tick off the sermon amount on your Bible reading plan. Tick, done that. He finishes it in the most confronting way. He finishes by saying, are you my disciple? Are you a believer? Are you on the narrow road? Are you obeying me? I've got three points this morning. Here's the first one. Be assured, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. I was really sad this week. I was really sad this week when I heard that that housing commission over in the rocks had been put up for tender. And I was sad for two reasons. All those people who have been displaced from their homes, that makes me sad. I'm also sad that that, that poster that was in the window of that building is no longer there. Because everyone saw it. Those three words, one way, Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, verse 13. He says, there's only one way. It's not popular. It doesn't always feel good. It might be tough, and there's not many on it. But choose the right road. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And many who go through that one. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And just a few find it. Now, before we look at the rose, look at that first word, enter. Enter, says Jesus. Now, we know the gate is Jesus. John ten seven tells us that I am the gate, says Jesus. The point is here that you don't just stumble through this narrow gate by accident. You don't stumble through the narrow gate unaware. You make that conscious decision, that conscious choice to enter through Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus. There is a wrong road. Verse 13 says it's broad, it is wide. And the gate is wide, wide, wide. 
and the road is full of people. And we're supposed to imagine this road that is so wide and it's packed with people. And on this road, you've got these signs saying, no effort required, just do what you want. There's no, there's no baggage limitations, just, just bring your sin with you, you know, follow your heart, do what you want, hold on to your sin and your pride and your selfishness and your ambitions, just be you, that is the broad road. And verse 13 tells us that many are on it. It's full of people. Of course it is, because this road gives you this deceptive sense of freedom and independence. What, what shocks me about this broad road is that people are on this road and they don't seem to think about where the road's taking them. You ever done that? Have you got, got in your car and just turned on the engine and just got on the road and thought, I don't, I don't know where this road's going. I don't care. It's crazy, isn't it? When you set out on a journey, you, you know where you're heading. It's like that awful ad, the, uh, the journey is the destination. It's like the rubbish, you know. If I'm going to London, I don't want to sit on a plane for 20 hours. I haven't bought a ticket to sit on a plane. I want to get to my destination. What I find extraordinary is that many people don't even think where they're heading on this broad road. As we're sitting here this morning, there are hundreds and thousands and millions of people on the broad road not even thinking where they're heading. Last night we sang carols. Thousands of people singing about Jesus. And this morning... Most of them don't even even give Jesus a second thought. And Jesus is very blunt. Look at the word in verse 13, the road leads to destruction. It's the word for hell or the word for eternal punishment. Now God's done everything he can to get people off that broad road onto the narrow road, but people still choose to stick on this road leading to hell. And that's why Jesus says in verse 14, think narrow, choose narrow. How narrow is the gate, how difficult the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. See that word narrow? It's not easy to get onto the road. You have to recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt. You have to recognize that you're a sinner, And the road makes demands on you. It's difficult to stick on this road. It's costly. And it's lonely. See that word few in verse 14? Only a few find it. Jesus is saying, if you're on the narrow road, don't expect to be popular. If you're on the narrow road, you will stand out from the crowd. You'll live life in this world against the flow. It won't be easy. But it does lead to life. I know many people who have claimed to be interested in Jesus. But once they find out the cost of being a disciple, the cost of following Jesus, they say, oh, that's too hard. I'll stick to the broad road. Oswald Oswald Sanders said this. A West Indian who had chosen Islam in preference to Christianity 
gave us his reason that Islam is a noble, broad path and there's room for man and his sins on it. I find the way of Christ is far too narrow. He asked me to, he asked me to leave my sins behind. And Jesus has chosen the narrow road because it actually leads to life, not death, to heaven, not hell. And I have to say there are only these two roads. There's not many roads in life leading to the same destination. The Bible does not say that. Acts 2 says salvation is found in no other name but Jesus. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I know that sounds arrogant. I know that sounds intolerant. But God is saying that Jesus is the only way. So I'm going to ask you again, have you made that decision? Have you chosen life over death? Have you chosen heaven over hell? When was that? Why was that? Number one, be assured that Jesus is the only way. Number two, be discerning. Jesus is the truth. So there are two roads and there's two teachers, two types of teachers. One speaks truth, one doesn't. One is genuine, one is fake. And Jesus says in verse 15, beware, be alert, be on your guard, be on the lookout. This week, um, my staff team uh, received an email from me, but it wasn't from me, it was spam. Someone had hacked my email account and had sent an email from me to the rest of my staff team asking them to buy seven $100 iTunes vouchers. And it looked genuine. It looked totally genuine. It was really hard to spot the fact it was fake. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There's lots of people out there who look genuine and it's really hard to spot their fake. And so we as Christians need to be discerning, we need to be alert, we need to be aware. He says, verse 15, be aware of false prophets, false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing so they look the part, they speak like Christians, they act like Christians, they teach like Christians, but inwardly, verse 15, they are, they're ravaging wolves. They're out to devour you. They're out to destroy you. The, the church has always been full of false teachers. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up from your own number with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Be alert. Be warned. If we're on this narrow road, be very careful. You know, who do you listen to? Which preachers do you podcast? Which books do you buy? Who do you follow? Just be discerning. I, I love the, this is a true story. This wealthy family were having a dinner party. And so the chef prepared all these hors d'oeuvres for about 100 guests. And they were served on these silver platters, and they came out, and the chef had made these rosemary-infused crackers with a layer of meat and sliced olives and a garnish of parsley. And the guests loved them. 
They devoured them. They lapped them up. Until about an hour later, they all started vomiting. And by accident, the meat was actually dog meat, not human meat. And we laugh, but, you know, it's easy to put a, a bit of garnish on some Christianized teaching, add it some Christian flavor, and to make the Bible say what it never said, to make God say what he never promised. And we can just lap it up because it makes us feel good. It makes church look good. But being on this narrow road means we'll be very, very discerning. Now, I'm not saying that we go on this heresy hunt. And I'm certainly not saying that we define ourselves so narrowly. Some churches do that, that they're the only true church. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying be wise as to what you listen to and who you listen to and what you read. So how will you spot these false prophets? Verse 16. You'll spot them by their fruit. That's there again in verse 20. You'll recognize them by their fruit. They're kind of the bookends, the inclusio, by their fruit. Jesus says, a good fruit produces good fruit and a bad tree, bad fruit. So look at the fruit. Don't judge the person, but look at what they're producing. So listen to their teaching. Actually, listen to what they say and, and, and have your Bible open next to it and say, is this what the Bible says? Is this what God says? You can often spot false teachers or false preachers by what they don't teach. And the, the teachers who never mention sin, never mention wrath, never mention hell, always talk about feel-good theology or pluck a verse out of context and just preach on that or look at their conduct Watch their life for a while and see what fruit they're bearing in their life. Are they being gracious and kind and godly and loving? Look at their followers. Do their followers love Jesus more than love themselves? Jesus says, be discerning, be on your guard. I read this week about how FBI agents train their Agents had to spot the counterfeit notes, the counterfeit money bills. Do you know how they do it? How do they train their agents? They get their agents to sit in a room with the genuine note and the genuine article and spend hours and hours and weeks and weeks studying the genuine thing so when the counterfeit comes along, they can easily spot what is wrong. And as your pastor, I want to say to you, friends, Study the genuine thing. Devote yourself to God's Word. Dig deep into the Scriptures. Know your Bible so well that when you read something, you go, ah, oh, I'm not quite sure that's right. Or when you hear something, you say, is that what God's Word really says? Just sit here every Sunday and test everything that's said. Test my preaching saying, is that what the Bible says? Test James's preaching. Is that what the Bible says? Test the books on our bookstore. Test the, what you buy from Kurong. Is that what God's Word says? Because I would hate, I would hate us to, to just inadvertently eat dog food and be totally, totally oblivious to it. So be discerning. Jesus is the truth. 
And then lastly, be obedient. Be obedient because Jesus is the life. Someone said this. I think this is so true for Sydney Anglicans. They said, I'm convinced more than ever that most followers of Jesus Christ are educated far, far beyond their obedience. That is so true. We can sit here and we can pass theology exams. We can know our Bibles. We can point people to chapter and verse. We do our memory verses. We know what's right and wrong. We've got our heads stuffed full of information and knowledge. And Jesus says to us in, in, this, in this sermon, it's good to have knowledge, but what are you doing with it? Are you living it out? Are you putting it into practice? Do you know what James said in, in his epistle? Don't merely listen to the word, but, but do what it says. And he gave the example of the man who looks in the mirror and, and notices that you know, his hair's a mess or he needs a shave and he spots that stuff. He knows that stuff, but he walks out the front door with his hair still a mess and, with, and completely unshaved. He says, that's ridiculous. Don't sit here in church stuffing your head with information and knowledge and Bible truth, but do nothing about it. At 8 a.m. church, we sing the old hymn, Trust and Obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. It doesn't say, trust and no more stuff. It says, trust and then walk out of church and make sure your life looks radically different because of what you've learned about God this morning. Uh, Jesus gives two warnings. I find them both incredibly scary. He says, don't just talk the talk. Make sure you obey. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do miracles in your name? And I will announce to them, I, I never knew you. I find that very scary. Jesus is saying it's perfectly possible to talk the talk, to quote the scriptures, to sing the songs, to say, Amen, very loudly to the prayers. But there's no obedience, there's no action, there's no living out your Christian life. You're supposed to imagine the last day and these people coming to before God and saying, but Lord, Lord, we sat in Kubley Church every Sunday at 9.45. For 10 years we did that. And Jesus said, yeah, but look at your life for the rest of the week. Did you actually have faith in me that actually transformed the way that you lived? Oh, but Lord, Lord, we, we served at Cowles Under the Bridge. We served every year. And he said, good on you for wearing that red T-shirt for those three hours on a Saturday afternoon. But for the rest of your life, the rest of your week, were you actually trying to live a life that honored your Savior? What he's saying here is that it's really easy to know the right things to say and to sound pious. But the key question is this, 
Does Jesus know you? Verse 23. Jesus, I never knew you. We had no relationship. Does Jesus know you? Have you come to him as your Lord and Savior? Are you his child? And as his child, verse 21, are you seeking to do the will of your father? I know it's hard to obey. He's not asking us to be perfect. He just wants us to be people who actually seek to put into practice what we read and hear in the Scriptures. So don't just talk the talk. And then don't just hear the words. Jesus talks about these two builders building these two houses this parable is so well known. And we always focus on the foundations. You know, Make sure you're building a house on the rock, the rock being Jesus. We know that. We know we've got to build our life on Christ. But the actual focus of this parable is not on the rock. The focus is on the two different builders. They both hear the words. Verse 24, they hear the words. Verse 26, they hear the words. But the difference is that one actually chooses to put those words into practice, to act on it. That's the difference. And this is the scary bit, that Jesus is not contrasting the people who sit in church to the people who sit outside of church. He's contrasting people who sit in church every single week. And they hear the words of Scripture, they hear the sermons. They buy the books. But some people do it and others just walk away and ignore what's been said. And again, I find that scary. So how do you discern the ones who really do do the word of God, not just hear it? And the answer, says Jesus, is when the storms of life come. When the hard times come in life, then you'll spot the person who you just trusts and obey. Verse 25 says, the rain fell. Not if the rain falls, but the rain will fall, and the storms will come, and the rivers will rise, and the winds will blow, and they will pound your house. Now don't listen to the person who says that if you become a Christian, your life will be nice and easy and sunny days. That's a lie. The storms will come to each one of us. Depression, disappointments, illness, loneliness, sadness, death, cancer, sickness, just getting old. But when the storms of life come, the question is, will your foundations stand firm? Will your trust in Jesus stand firm? When you're battered and bruised, when you're sad and you're hurting, will you keep trusting in Jesus? That's the question. And I've seen it both ways, you know. I've seen people in church who outwardly everything is together. Head full of knowledge. Leading Bible studies. And then the storms come. The disappointment, the divorce, the diagnosis, the shock news. And it completely crushes me when I see these supposedly strong Christians just walk away 
just walk away from Jesus because it was not built on Christ. They had a head full of knowledge, but life full of disobedience. And I've seen the other way, that, that people have really matured and grown and shown their faith is genuine through the darkest times of life. And I'm just here again as your pastor saying, please don't be educated more than your obedience. I'd far rather you, you walked out of church this morning with just one thing in your head that you're going to do this week, you're going to put into practice this week, rather than memorizing all three points and being able to quote verses from Matthew chapter 7. What's the point of that if your life doesn't change? Let's think back on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has told us that we need to be humble and meek and gentle and forgiving. He's told us to get rid of anger, to get rid of lust. He's told us not to judge people. He's told us to forgive people. And I hope that you've got these beautiful books called The Authentic Life with lots of notes in But more than that, I hope that your life has been radically changed by these sermons. That you walk out the door and you do love people and you do forgive people and you do get rid of anger and you do get rid of lust. And actually you're different because of these sermons. Because what's the point of preaching if you've got a head stuffed full of knowledge but it's not actually changing you? Jesus does not want you to be educated better. He wants you to live as his precious children who live a life which honors him and pleases him because it's the best way to live. So I'm just urging you and pleading you, just do it. Just pick one thing this week that you're going to put into practice. So I'll start where I, and I'll end where I started and ask you the simple question, have you made that biggest decision? To follow Jesus. If not, today is a great day to do that. All it means is just sitting here this morning in the quietness of your heart saying, Yep, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Thank you to Jesus. So, only a moment by yourself to think about that. And I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to sing.